0: Hill explains where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about. Hello, this is a Wikipedia reading about Ireland, and people who've listened to me know that I have actually roved through sort of South American republics and uh, gone up through um, the Gulf states, marveling at it along the. Um, Horn of Africa, the, the Arabian states at the bottom, Yemen and Oman and all these bizarre countries and Mali and Cameroon and uh, Zanzibar and Tanzania and that type of stuff. Then I've come over, just recently, decided I'd like to read about New Caledonia. And I found that New Caledonia is the most cult, is most biodiverse place on the planet. It's the largest lagoon in the world. Uh, and a, um, uh, that people only live in the bottom half of the southern half of the island. The north half, it's got uh, the typical rain shadow, lush forest on the the western side, and uh, sports cannibals, connects and the French French penal colonies, the French bit of French history coming over to it. It's a it's a sort of a French state uh, out there in the Pacific. The most important, one of the more interesting things is that it was. It's a relatively wealthy. Um, it was the most wealthy island in the Pacific. There's a Honolulu. And up there is Australia. Australia is uh, something like fifty-five thousand dollars US dollars per year per citizen. America is sixty-five, and it goes way up to one hundred and twelve for. Luxembourg, and you've got these things that you do expect. Or also up there above the United States is what you expect, Switzerland. There's no surprise there. But Ireland, how does Ireland do it? Because Ireland's had such a horrendous history and of uh, Irish extraction. So I thought, in my rove I've sort of looked at this and said, oh, another island I can't understand is how... Island. The island of Ireland is going on. I'll do it then. So I'm going to read this and get get through it hopefully. And oh, I'll see if I, where I put my my glasses. Hmm. Ireland, uh, air, uh, Ulster, Scots, Ireland uh, is an island in the North Atlantic, separated from Great Britain to the east and the north by the North Channel and the Irish Sea and St. George's Channel. Ireland is the second largest island of the British Isle, the third largest in Europe, and the 20th largest on Earth. largest island I think Australia would be. Geopolitically, Ireland is divided between the Republic of Ireland, officially named Ireland, which covers five-sixths of the island, and Northern Ireland, um, which is part of the United Kingdom. In 2011, the population of Ireland was about 6.6 million ranking it as the second most populous island in Europe after Great Britain. As of 2016, 4.8 million lived in the Republic and 1.8 in the Northern Ireland. The geography of Ireland comprises of relatively low-lying mountains surrounding a central plain with several navigable rivers extending inland. Its lush vegetation is a product of its mild but changeable climate which is free of extremes in temperature. Much of Ireland was woodland until the Middle Ages. Today, woodland makes up 10% of the island compared to the European average of 33%. Um, and most of it is non-native conifer plantations. There are 26 extant land mammals species native to Ireland. The Irish climate is influenced by the Atlantic Ocean and is thus very moderate. The winters are milder than expected for such a northerly area, although the summers are cooler than those in continental Europe. Rainfall and cloud cover is abundant. Ireland. The earliest evidence of human presence on islands is dated at um, 10,500 BC. Gaelic Ireland has emerged by the 1st century AD. Hmm. So that's interesting. The Romans are well and truly in England by then. The island was Christianized from the 5th century onward. Following the 12th century Norman invasion, England claimed sovereignty, however, English rule did not extend over the whole island until the 16th and 17th century Tudor Conquest, which led to colonization by settlers from Britain. In the 1690s, a system of Protestant English rule was designed to materially disadvantage Catholic majority and Protestant dissenters, and it extended during the 18th century. With Acts of the Union in 1801, Ireland became part of the United Kingdom, a war of independence in the early 20th century, followed by a partition of the islands creating the Irish Free State, which became increasingly sovereign over the following decades, and Northern Ireland, which remained part of the United Kingdom. Uh, Northern Ireland saw much civil unrest in the late 60s until the 90s. This subsided following a political agreement in 98. In 1973, the Republic of Ireland joined the European uh, Economic Community, while the United Kingdom and North Ireland, uh, as part of it, did the same. That reverse. Irish culture has a significant influence on other cultures, especially the field of literature, alongside mainstream Western culture. A strong indigenous culture exists, as expressed through Gaelic games, Irish music, Irish language. And the island's culture shares many features with that of Great Britain, including the English language, sports association, football, rugby, horse racing, and golf. Okay, it's the 19th most populous country on earth. I don't quite see how that works. Um, It's mostly 95% white. Um... And patrons at St Patrick, St Bridget, St Comisial, I don't know who those are. Okay. Names of Ireland and Eyre, divine from the Old Irish Irú, the goddess of the Irish mythology, first recorded in the ninth century. The uh, etymology of Irú is disputed, but may derive from the Proto Indo-European root *ilze*, referring to a flowing water. Prehistoric history, prehistoric Ireland. During the last glacial period until about 10,000 BC, most of Ireland was periodically covered with ice. Sea levels were lower and Ireland, like Great Britain, formed part of continental Europe. By 16,000 BC, so this is well before humans arrived, rising sea levels caused by ice melting caused Ireland to become separated from Great Britain. Later, around 6,000 BC, Great Britain became separated from continental Europe. Um, The earliest evidence of human presence in Ireland is around 10,500 BC, demonstrated by a butcher's butchered bear bone found in a cave in County Clare. Uh, um, Poor Teddy. Uh, By about 8,000 BC, more sustained occupation of the island has been shown, with evidence of Mesolithic communities around the island. Sometime before 4000 BC, Neolithic settlers introduced cereal cultivars, domesticated animals such as cattle and sheep, large timber buildings, stone monuments. The early evidence of farming in Ireland or Great Britain is from Ferritters Cove, County Kerry, where a flint knife, cattle bones and a sheep's tooth were carbon dated to 4350 BC. Field systems were developed in different parts of Ireland, including cereal fields, that has been preserved beneath a blanket of peat in present-day Tawali. An extensive field system, arguably the oldest in the world, consisted of small divisions separated by dry stone walls. The fields were farmed for several centuries between 350 and 3000 BC. Wheat and barley were typical crops. The Bronze Age began around 250 BC, with technology changing people's everyday life during this period through innovations such as the wheel, Housing oxen, weaving textile, woven textiles, brewing alcohol and skillful metalworking, which produced new weapons and tools along with fine gold decorations and jewellery such as brooches and torques. Emergence of Celtic Island. How and when the island became Celtic has been debated for close to a century, with the migrations of the Celts being one of the more enduring themes of archaeological and linguistic studies. The most recent genetic research strongly associates the spread of Indo-European languages, including Celtic, through Western Europe with a people bringing composite, um, uh, uh, a composite beaker culture. So the beaker culture is all of a sudden these people were making pots in the shape of beakers and the beaker culture. The beaker culture is from Lithuania and that type of stuff. With the arrival in Great Britain and Ireland dated from around the middle of the third millennium, according to John T. Koch and others, Ireland, the late Bronze Age, was part maritime trading network culture called the Atlantic Bronze Age that included Britain, Western France, and Iberian, and that it is where the Celtic languages developed. This contrasts with the traditional view that their origin lies on mainland Europe uh, with the whole stat culture. So that there's a belief that they formed a sort of a trading a, a, a maritime country. The long-standing traditional view of the Celtic language ogs and strips and cultures were brought to Ireland by waves of invading migrating Celts from mainland Europe. This theory draws on the Lebor Gabal-Erin a medieval Christian pseudo-history of Ireland along with the presence of Celtic cultures language artifacts found in Ireland such as Celtic bronze spears, shields, torcs, T-O-R-K-S I don't know what that is C O R C S. As I finally crafted Celtic Associated Positions. Okay, just going to see what's happened here. My phone vibrated. Let's just have a little look and see what it was trying to say. I don't actually understand what that was, why that piece of information is there, but let's get on. Um, so they've got a, a fake history, and there are different countries which have had fake histories. Australians had a fake history. Someone who wrote a popular history of Australia being an orgy culture. Uh, Madagascar had a fake history when they realised that they, they had, someone had, was actually teaching Treasure Island as a history. Uh, so there's all these fake histories out there. Americans obviously got a huge fake history, so it's, it happens. The uh, Pritenni were said to be first followed by the Belga- uh, northern Gaul and Britain. Later, languid tribes from Amarca, present-day Brittany, were said to have invaded Ireland and Britain more or less simultaneously. Lastly, the Merlisian Gaels were said to have reached rich island from either northern Iberia or southern Gaul. It was claimed that the second wave, named Urumi, belonged to the Belga people in northern Gaul, began arriving in about the 6th century BC. Uh, They were said to have given their name to the island. Well, the poor island. I just, what a beautiful place. The theory was advanced in part because of the lack of archaeological evidence of large-scale Celtic immigration, although it is accepted that such movements are notoriously difficult to identify. Historical linguists are sceptical that the method alone could account for the absorption of the Celtic language, with some saying that the assumed professional and processional view of Celtic linguistic information is especially hazardous exercise. Genetic lineage investigation into the area of Celtic migration to Ireland has led to findings that show no significant difference between the mitochondrial DNA between Ireland and large areas of continental Europe, in contrast to parts of the Y chromosome pattern. When taking both into account, a study drew the conclusion that modern Celtic speakers in Ireland could be thought of as European Atlantic Celts. Uh, showing a shared ancestry through the Atlantic zone and northern Iberia uh, to western Scandinavia, rather than substantial central Europe. Uh, there you go. In 2012, research showed the occurrence of genetic markers from the earliest farmers was mostly eliminated by the Beaker culture immigrants. They carried uh, they carried what was then a new Y chromosome. uh 1B marker, which is really interesting. I, I sort of do understand the beaker. I've read a few articles about the beaky culture. Mostly, mostly about um, northern, just sort of suddenly emerged beakers and the beaky culture just destroyed all in front of them. Um, but the idea is that they, they, they were warriors with male dicks and sort of killed all the children and fucked all the women. Uh, the prevalence amongst modern Irish um uh, is believed to have originated from Bira in 250 BC. Prevalence among modern Irish men of this mutation is a remarkable 84%, the highest in the world, and is closely matched with other populations along the Atlantic fringes down to Spain. Similar genetic replacement uh, with the lineage of mitochondrial DNA. This conclusion is supported by a recent research carried out by the geneticist David Rick, who says British and Irish skeletons from the Bronze Age that followed the Beaker period. Had almost 10% ancestry from the first farmers of their islands, with 90% from people like those associated with the Bell Beaker culture of the Netherlands. He suggests that the Beaker users, who introduced the Indo-European language represented here by Celtic, a new language culture introduced directly by migration and genetic replacement. So essentially, that's a bit, yeah, you, know, gee, wouldn't it be you don't you don't think of oh, bloody you know, like the Nazis, the Beakers. And it's, yeah, so they had ceramic beakers they used to make. I don't know what's going on here. The earliest written, uh, late antiquity and early medieval times, so early medievals before um, Charlemagne, the, the end of the Roman Empire. The earliest written records of Ireland come from the classical Greco-Roman geographer Ptolemy. In its Almagest, it refers to Ireland as Micra Britannica, Little Britain. In contrast with the larger island, which he called Magna Britannica. In early work, Geography, Ptolemy refers to the island as Eurara and to Great Britain as Albion. So, Albion is an ancient word for it. These new names were likely to have been uh, the local names of the islands at the time. The earlier names, in contrast, were likely to have been coined before direct contact with the local periods were made. That's interesting. The Romans refer to Ireland by its name, um, too, and in Latinised forms as Hibernia or Scotia. Polly records 16 nations inhabiting every part of Ireland in 118. The relationship between the Roman Empire and the kingdoms of the ancient Ireland islands is unclear. However, a number of finds of Roman coins have been made, for example the Iron Age settlement of Freestone Hill near Gareth, New Newgrange. Ireland continued as a patchwork of rival kingdoms, however, beginning in the 7th century, a concept of national kingship gradually became articulated. Through the concept of High King of Ireland, medieval Irish literature portrays an almost unbroken sequence of High Kings stretching back a thousand years, but modern historians believe the scheme was constructed in the 8th century to justify the status of powerful political groupings by projecting the origins of their rules into the past, which is un- not unlike the... Um, Catholic Church. Um, I don't know if you've got the donation of Constantine. That the Catholic Church is a a political construct, and the Roman Catholic Church construct to concentrate power in Rome. All the Irish and you had the Aryan race and the the Aryan schism. Uh, So a lot of the Gaul, a lot of the um, Vandals were the wrong type of Christianity, so they weren't successful. Of all the Irish kingdoms, um, all the Irish kingdoms had their own kings but were nominally subject to the High King. The High King was drawn from the ranks of provincial kings and ruled also the Royal Kingdom of Meath with a ceremony capital of Hill of Tara. The concept did not become a political reality until the Viking Age and even then was not a consistent one. Ireland did have a culturally unifying rule of law, an early written judicial system. The Brehon lords administered by a professional class of jurists known as the Brehons. The Chronicle of Ireland records that 431 Bishop Palladus arrived in Ireland on a mission from Pope Celestine I to administer the Irish already believing in Christ. The same chronicle records that St. Patrick, Ireland's best-known patron saint, arrived the following year, where he continued to debate over the missions of Palladius and Patrick, but the consensus is that they both took place. And the older Druid tradition collapsed in the face of the new religion. Irish Christian scholars excelled in the study of Latin and Greek learning and Christian theology. In monastic culture that followed with Christianisation of Ireland, Latin and Greek learning was preserved in Ireland during the early Middle Ages and contrasts elsewhere in Western Europe, where the Dark Ages followed the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Well, you could also see that Ireland had several layers of defence of barbarians they had a stability there. The arts of manuscript illumination metalworking sculpture flourished and produced the treasures such as the Book of Kells, 1-8 jewellery and many carved stone crosses that still dot the island today. A mission founded in 563 in Iona by the Irish monk St. Columbia began the tradition of Irish missionary work. This spread the Celtic Christianity and the learning to Scotland, England and the French Empire continental Europe after the fall of Rome. These missions continued until the late Middle Ages, established monasteries and centers of learning, producing scholars such as Soledus Scotus and Jonas uh, Eurigina, and exerting much influence on Europe. So this is an interesting thing, that the Roman thing was the Christianity had to be incubated in sort of a special Celtic-Irish lab, and then Ireland came down. Norman and English invasions on the May 1st, 1169, so it's 1066, so it's 100 years, an expedition of the Canberra Normal Knights with an army of about 600 men landed at Barnard Strand in present-day County Wexford. It was led by Richard de Clare, known as Strongbow, owing to his prowess of the The invasion, which coincided with the period of new Norman expansion, was the invitation of Domit MacMacOr, King of Leinster. This is the entire thing. You've got to know that, like the uh, Romans were invited into Britain. You get various things. I I just wonder whether we need that sort of the we can sit and exploit the infighting within the uh, education Um, department. In 1166, Macbrayne had fled to Anjou, France, following a war involving. Targaran ur of Braithame and sought assistance of the Angevin King Henry II in recapturing his kingdom. In 1171, Henry arrived in Ireland in order to review the general progress of the expedition. He wanted to re-exert royal authority over the invasion, which was expanding beyond his control. Henry successfully reimposed his authority over Strongbow, and the Camboro-Noran warlords persuaded many Irish kings to accept him as their overlord, an arrangement she conferred in the 1173 Treaty of Windsor. So, was not Irish wasn't the thing, there was Irish warlords. The invasion was legitimised by the provision of the Papal Bull Lord Abitsam, issued by, the, by an Englishman, Adrian IV. In 1155, the bull encouraged Henry to take control of Ireland in order to oversee the financial and administrative reorganization of the Irish Church. Uh, and its integration into the Roman Catholic Church. It's uh, interesting. So when did, uh, it's trying to work out when the, um, patron saints came across The patron saints came in the early Middle Ages, or in the Dark Ages, and then um, for some reason they had to re-come over the top. Some uh, restructuring had already begun at the classical level following the Synod of Kells in 1152. There has been significant controversy regarding the authenticity of the Lord Buster, uh, and there is no general agreement on whether the bull was a genuine or a forgery. war just seems to be all over the place. there was uh, the donation of Constantine is a forgery in and it's interesting the Mongols uh, when they were trying to subdue the Russians had four doc- documents so it seems that a rule of war as sort of like fake news of Donald Trump in 1172, Pope Alexander III further encouraged Henry to advance the integration of the Irish church with Rome. Henry was authorised to impose a tithe of one penny per hearth on the annual contribution. This church levy called Peter's Pence is extracted in Ireland as a voluntary donation. In turn, Henry accepted the title of Lord of Ireland, which Henry conferred on his younger son, John Locke Lackland. In 1185, uh, this defined the Irish state As a lordship of Ireland, when Henry's successor died unexpectedly in 1099, Jonathan, John inherited the crown of England and retained the lordship of Ireland. So, that's how it got sucked into the British Empire. Over the century following, normal funeral law gradually replaced Celtic Breton law, so that by the late 13th century, Norman Irish had established a feudal system throughout much of Ireland. Norman settlements were characterised by a subject of baronies, manors, towns, seeds of modern country's county system. A version of the Magna Carta, the Great Charter of Ireland, substituting a Dublin for Ireland and the Irish Church for the Church of England at the time, the Catholic Church, was published in 1216 and the Parliament of Ireland was founded in 1297. From the mid-14th century, after the Black Death, Norman settlements of Ireland went into a period of decline. The Norman rulers the Gallic-Irish elites intermarried with the areas under the Norman rule became Galatised. In some parts of hybrid hiberno normal culture emerged. In response, the Irish Parliament passed the Statute of Kilkenny in 1367. There were set laws designed to prevent the assimilation of Normans into Irish society requiring English objects in Ireland to speak English, follow English customs and abide by English laws. There you game. So England England being an asshole, was more out of fear to start. It's not amazing. By the end of the fifteenth century, central English authority in Ireland had all but disappeared. And a renewed Irish cultural language, albeit with Norman influences, was dominant again. English crown control remained relatively unshaken in a amorphous foothold around Dublin known as the Pale. And under the provision of Poynings' Law in 1494, the Irish parliamentary legislation was subject to approval by the English Privy Council. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how it goes? And of course you know that uh, you know, Henry VIII, the Tudors, had a conquest in there. Uh, so the Tudors around that time. Um, okay, here we go. The Kingdom of Ireland. The title King of Ireland was recreated by Henry VIII, the King of England uh, of the Tudor dynasty. English rule was reinforced and expanded in Ireland during the latter part of the 16th century. Leading the Tudor conquest of Ireland, a near complete conquest was achieved in the turn of the 17th century, following the Nine Years' War and the fight of the Earls. The control was consolidated during the wars of conflict in the 17th century, including English and Scottish colonisation in the plantations of Ireland. The Wars of the Three Kingdoms and the uh, Willamite War, Irish losses during the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, which Ireland included the Irish Confederacy and the Cromwellian Conquest of Ireland, are estimated to include 20,000 battlefield casualties and 200,000 civilians are estimated to have died as a result of the combination of war, related famine, displacement, guerrilla activity, pestilence over the duration of the war. A further 50,000 were sent into indigenous servitude in the West Indies. Physician General William Petty estimated that half a million Catholic Irish and 10,000 Protestant satellites died and 10,000 people were transported as a result of the war. The pre-world population of 15 million is assumed. This would mean the population was reduced to almost half. Good on you. Gee, they were basically the worst people in English. I really hate them, being Irish religious struggles of the seventeenth century left a deep sectarian division in Ireland of religious allegiance now determined by the perception of law of loyalty to the Irish King and Parliament. After passing the Test Act of sixteen seventy two, the victory of the forces of the dual monarchy of William and Mary over the Jacobites, Roman Catholics and non conforming Protestant dissenters were barred from sitting as members of the Irish Parliament. Under the emerging penal laws, Roman Irish Roman Catholics and dissenters were increasingly deprived of various sundry civil rights, even to the ownership of hereditary property. Additional aggressive punitive legislation followed in 1703, 1709, and 1728. This completed a comprehensive systematic effort to materially disadvantage Roman Catholics and Protestant dissenters while enriching the new ruling class of the Anglican conformists. The new Anglo-Irish ruling class became known as the Protestant Ascendancy. The great frost struck Ireland and the rest of Europe between 1739 and 1741 after a decade of relatively mild winters. The winters destroyed stored crops of potatoes and other staples and the poor summers severely damaged the harvest. This resulted in the famine of 1740. The estimated quarter of a million people, about one-eighth of the population, died from the ensuing pestilence and disease. The Irish government exalted export halted the export of corn and kept the army in quarters, but did little more. Local gentry and charitable organisations provided relief, but could do little to prevent the ensuing mortality. So, there's climate change there, and Ireland going through great frost for three years. The aftermath of the famine and the increased industrial production and the surge of trade brought a succession of construction booms. The population soared in the later part of the century, and the architectural legacy of Georgian Ireland was built. In 1782, Poynings' law was repealed, giving Ireland legislative independence from Great Britain for the first time uh, since 1495. The British government, however, still retained the right to nominate the government of Ireland without consent of the Irish Parliament. Dear. Um union with Great Britain. In 1798, members of the Protestant dissenters tradition, mainly Presbyterian, made common cause uh, with the Roman Catholics uh, in a Republican rebellion inspired and led by the Society of United Irishmen, with the aim of creating an independent Ireland. Despite assistance from France, the rebellion was put down by the British and the Irish government and European forces. In 1800, the British and Irish parliaments both passed the acts of union that, in effect on the 1st of January 1801, merged the Kingdom of Ireland with the Kingdom of Great Britain to create the Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. The passage of the Act of the Irish Parliament was ultimately achieved with substantial majorities having failed the first attempt in 1799. According to contemporary documents, the historical analysis of this was achieved through a considerable degree of bribery with funding provided by the British Secret Service Office and awarding of peerages and places and honours to secure votes. Thus, the Parliament of Ireland was abolished and replaced with the United Parliament of Westminster in, Euro- in London uh, through resistance remained as evidence of Robert Elmett's failed Irish rebellion in 1803. Shit, What a... Bastards. Aside from the development of the linen industry, Ireland was largely passed over by the Industrial Revolution, partly because of coal and iron resources, and partly because of the impact of the Southern Union uh, with the structurally superior economy of England, which saw Ireland as a source of agricultural produce and capital. The Great Famine of 1845-51 to 51 devastated Ireland as those years island population fell by one third. More than one people died of starvation and disease, an additional million people immigrating during the famine, mostly to the United States and Canada. In the century that followed, the economic depression caused the famine resulted in a further million people immigrating. By the end of the decade, half of all immigration to the United States was from Ireland. Uh, the period of civil unrest that followed until the end of the 19th century was referred to as the land war. Mass immigration became deeply entrenched and the population continued to decline until the mid-20th century. Immediately prior to the famine, the, uh, the population was recorded at uh, 8.2 million. And by 1841 census, the population never returned to that level since. The population continued to fall until 1961. It was not until the 2006... Um, census that last the country of Ireland uh, to record a rise of population since 1841. Did so. Isn't that amazing? In the 19th and early 20th century, saw rises in modern Irish nationalism, pr- primarily among the Roman Catholic population. The preeminent Irish political figure was Unionist uh, Daniel O'Connell, who was selected a member of Parliament for Ennis. Uh, penis inus, in a surprise result despite being unable to take the seat as a Roman Catholic. O'Connell spearheaded the vigorous campaign that was taken up by the Prime Minister, the Irish Born Soldier statement a uh, statement the Duke of Wellington. Was the Duke of Wellington Irish? Isn't that amazing? Steering the Catholic relief bill through Parliament aided by the future Prime Minister Robert Peel, Wellington prevailed uh, upon a reluctant George the fourth to sign the bill and proclaim it law. George's father had opposed the plan of the earlier prime minister Pitt the Younger to introduce the bill owing to the union uh, following the union of 1801, fearing Catholic emancipation to be in conflict with the Act of Settlement in 1701. Daniel O'Connell led subsequent complaint uh, for the repeal of the Act of Union, which failed later in the century. Charles Stuart Parnell and others campaigned for autonomy with the union. For Home Rule unions, especially those in Ulster's, were strongly opposed to Home Rule, which they thought would be dominated by the Catholic interests. After several attempts to pass Home Rule bills through Parliament, it looked certain that, no one would, uh, that one would finally pass in 1914. To prevent this from happening, the Ulster volunteers were formed in 1813 under the leadership of Edward Carson. Their formation was followed in 1914 by the submission of the Irish Volunteers, whose aim was to ensure, ensure the Home Rule was passed. That was passed, but the temporary exclusion of six counties also become North Ireland. Before it could be implemented, however, the Act was suspended for the duration of World War I. The Irish Volunteers split into two groups. The majority, approximately uh, 175,000 in number, under John Redburn, took the name of the National Volunteers and supported the Irish involvement in the war. Minority approximately 13,000 retained as Irish volunteers opposed the Ireland in the war. That's interesting. Easter Rising, the Easter Rising in nineteen sixteen carried out by the latter group, together with a small socialist manager, the Irish Citizens' Army, the registered response of executing fifteen leaders of the rising in a period of ten days. My God in turning more than a thousand people turned the mood of the country in favour of the rebels. Supporting the Irish Republicanism increased further due to the ongoing war in Europe as well as the conscription Crisis in 1918. The pro-independence Republican Party, Sinn Féin, received overwhelming endorsement in the general election of 1918 and 1919, proclaimed the Irish Republic setting its own parliament and government. Simultaneously, the volunteers, isn't that beautiful? So this is where my grandparents came out as um, rebels, political prisoners. Dara launched a three-year guerrilla War, which ended in a truce in 1921, although violence continued uh, until June 22, mostly in Northern Ireland Partition. In December uh, 1921, the Anglo-Irish Treaty was concluded between the British government and the representatives of the Second Dáil. It gave Ireland complete independence in its home affair and practical independence in foreign policy. But an opt-out clause allowed Northern Ireland to remain within the United Kingdom, which was, as expected, immediately exercised. Additionally, members of the Free State Parliament were required to swear an oath of allegiance to the constitution of the Irish Free State and make statements of faithfulness to the King. Disagreements over the provision led to the split of the national movements and subsequent Irish civil war between the new government of the Irish Free State and those who opposed the treaty. Led by Edmond de la Vela. Uh, the Civil War officially ended in May 1923 when Vela issued a ceasefire order. Independence. During the first decade, the newly formed Irish Free State was governed by the victors of the Civil War. When de Vela achieved power, he took advantage of the Statue of Wisdom and political circumstances to build upon the inroads to greater sovereignty made by the previous government. The oath was abolished in 1837. Uh, I must have said, look, me in the Australian Army, I had to d- give an oath to the British monarchy. Oh, I, won't blood oath. I said, no way, I wasn't doing that. Um, the great separation from the British Empire and the governments had it pursued since independence. However, it was not until 1949 the state was declared officially to be the Republic of Ireland. The state of neutrality during World War Two. um, but offered candlestick assistance to the Allies, particularly in potential defence of the Northern Ireland. Despite the country's neutrality, approximately 50,000 volunteers from independent Irish joined the British forces during the war, four being awarded the Victoria Crosses. So uh, uh, it's sort of interesting to know this. The German intelligence uh, was also active in Ireland. Its operations centred in September forty-one, when police made arrests on the basis of surveillance carried out on key diplomatic legations uh, in Dublin. To uh, the authorities, counterintelligence uh, was a fundamental line of defence. It was, with a regular army only slightly over seven thousand men at the start of the war, and with limited supplies of modern weapons, the state would have been in great difficulty defending itself from the invasion. Um, from either side of the conflict. So, like Timor got invaded by Australia. But Timor, Portuguese thing, got helped in a bit of commas. So, there's lots of special. Large scale immigration marked most of the post war uh, two period, particularly during the 50s and 80s. Uh, but beginning in 1907, the economy improved. And the 90s saw the beginning of substantial economic growth, 9.6% per annum between 95 and 99. In which the year the Republic joined the Euro. Uh, in 2006, richest country in the world in terms of GDP, the capital. Wow. I don't know how that happened. So it's, it's now a rich country for no reason. Historian Ari Foster argues that the cause was a combination of new and a new sense of initiative in entry into American corporations. He concludes the key factors were low taxation, pro business regulatory policies, and young, technically savvy workforce. Many multinationals um, for many multinationals the decision to do business in Ireland was made easier by the generous incentives of the Industrial Development Authority. In addition, the European Union isn't that amazing Membership was helpful in giving the country lucrative access to markets that had previously reached only through the United Kingdom's and having huge subsidies investment into the Irish economy. Modernisation brought secularisation in its wake. Traditional high levels of religiousity have slightly declined. Foster points, uh, to three factors. Irish feminism, largely imported from America with liberal Stances on contraception, abortion, divorce, undermined the authority of the bishops and priests. Second, mishandling of the pedophile scandals humiliated the church. This bishop seems less conservative because the more concerned with covering up the errant priests. Thirdly, prosperity brought hedonism and materialism and undercapped the ideal of saintly poverty. The financial crisis began in 2008, dramatically ended the period of boom. GDP fell by 3% and by 7.1% in 2009, the worst year since the records began. Although the earnings by foreign-owned business continued to grow, the state since has experienced a deep recession with unemployment, which doubled in 2009, remaining about 14% in uh, 2012. Well, there you go. That's Ireland. Oh, yeah, poor It's, it's unrecognisable. So. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland resulted from the division of the United Kingdom by the government of... Ireland Act in 2020, and until 1972 was self-governing jurisdiction within the United Kingdom with its own Parliament and Prime Minister. Northern Ireland as part of the United Kingdom was not neutral during the Civil War. The Belfast suffered four bombing raids in 1941. Conscription was not extended to Northern Ireland, although roughly equal number of volunteers from Northern Ireland as volunteers from the South. Although Northern Ireland was largely spared the strife of civil war, in decades that followed a petition there were sporadic episodes of intercommunal violence. Nationalists, mainly Roman Catholics, wanted United Ireland as an independent republic, whereas Unionists, mainly Protestants, wanted Northern Ireland to remain um, in the United Kingdom. The Protestants and Catholic communities in Northern Ireland voted largely along sectarian lines, meaning the government of Northern Ireland elected by the 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 first-past-the-post system of 29 was controlled by the Altitude Union Party. Over time, the minority Catholic community felt increasingly animated with further disaffection fuelled by the practices of the gerrymandering and discrimination in housing and employment. So gerrymandering is where you, if you got first-past-the-post, and that's the way the go, gerrymandering is the size of your electorate. In the late nineteen sixty, national grievance were aired publicly in mass civil rights protests, in which were often confronted by loyalist counter-protests. The government reaction to confrontation was seen to be one sided heavily heavy and in favour of the unions. Law and order broke down and unrest and incommunal violence increased. The Northern Ireland government requested the British Army to aid the police, protect the Irish nationalist population. In nineteen sixty nine, parliamentary provisional RA, which was favoured the creation of United Ireland, emerged from the split Irish Republican Army. Um, so the Provisional IRA and began a campaign against the British occupation of six counties. Other groups on the Union side, national side to participate in violence in a period known as the Troubles began. Over three thousand six hundred deaths resulted of subsequent decades of the conflict. Owing to civil unrest during the Troubles, the British government suspended home rule. In 1972, imposed direct rule. There were several unsuccessful attempts to end the troubles politically, such as the Sunningdale Agreement in 73. In 1998, following the ceasefire, the Provisional IRA and multi talks Goodfire fire agreement. This concluded the treaty of Britain and the Irish governments, annexed in the text agreement of the multi-party parliamentary talks. The substance of the agreement, formerly referred to as the Belfast Agreement, was later endorsed by the referendums in both parts of Ireland. The agreement restores self-government in Northern Ireland on the basis of power sharing to regional executive drawn from majority of parties in New Northern Ireland Assembly, with entrenched protections of the two main communities. The executive is jointly headed by the First Minister and Deputy First Minister drawn from the Unionist and Nationalist Parties. Violence has decreased greatly after the Provisional IRA and lawyers in 1994 and 2005. Provisional IRA announced the end of the armed campaign and the Independence Commission supervised its disarmament and other nationalist and unionist parliamentary organisations. The Assembly and Power Sharing Executive were suspended several times during the restored again in 2007. In that year, British Government officially ended the military support for the uh, police in Northern Ireland, Operation Bannon, and began withdrawing troops. On 27th of June 2012, Northern Ireland's Deputy First Minister, former IRA Commander Martin McGuinness, shook hands with Queen Elizabeth II in Belfast, symbolising sim- uh, the reconciliation of the two sides. So we're going to finish there. Uh, it's, I don't know how many pages of this. Of this I've got 27 pages on page 11. So, this is worthwhile doing. I'm going to finish there. And. So, it's interesting to hear about the beaker culture and stuff like that. Okay. Another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.